In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, cleanse my heart and my lips, Almighty God, that I may proclaim your gospel worthily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At daybreak, he appeared in the temple again, and as all the people came to him, he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman along who had been caught committing adultery, and making her stand there in full view of everybody, they said to Jesus, Master, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery, and Moses has ordered us in the law to condemn women like this to death by stoning. What have you to say? They asked him this as a test, looking for something to use against him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. As they persisted with their question, he looked up and said, If there is one of you who has not sinned, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bent down and wrote on the ground again. When they heard this, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders, until Jesus was left alone with the woman who remained standing there. He looked up and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replied. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go away and do not sin anymore. The Gospel of the Lord Familiarity with the story has made most of us inattentive to gaping holes in the narrative. First, this famous incident took place within the precinct of the temple, and this is no insignificant detail. Why would this woman be brought into the precinct of the temple even if this took place in the outer court of women? Shouldn't the scribes and Pharisees, who are most careful about matters concerning ritual purity, know that to have a public sinner dragged into the compound of the house of God would be a great affront to God himself? Second, who is this unnamed woman? Is she the same woman in Luke chapter 7 who entered the house of Simon the Pharisee and bathed the Lord's feet with her tears? And to think that this woman was forgiven once and now caught in another compromising situation. Shouldn't she deserve a more severe punishment for this repeat offence? Thirdly, and this may seem odders of all, the Lord's parting words to this woman are, Go away and do not sin any more. Curiously, St. John does not report any penitential resolve on the part of the woman. Although the Lord also does not condemn her, neither does he absolve her of a sin. But the fourth mystery of the story is one which has puzzled most scholars and commentators and given rise to many speculations. What was our Lord writing on the ground? One common answer was that he was writing the names of the men men of whom were standing in the crowd accusing this woman, guilty of having committed the act of adultery or fornication with this woman. This is a plausible answer, as no one can commit adultery or fornication alone by himself or herself. It takes two to tango. This may be reminiscent of the prophet Jeremiah scribbling the sins of the Israelites. 
But there is also another possibility offered by Saint Thomas Aquinas. He sees in this woman a symbol and representative of sinful humanity, and like fallen humanity, she is in need of mercy, even though her accusers demand justice. There seems to be no way out. According to Saint John Paul II, her accusers intend to show that Christ's teaching on God's merciful love contradicts the law which punished the sin of adultery with stoning. How can God be just and yet merciful towards our fallen human race? And then something wonderful happens. Jesus bends down and begins to write in the earth. And this is all done in silence. What does this mean? St. Thomas Aquinas, with the keenness of his mystical insight, says that his action signifies that God in his mercy is stooping down to assist sinful humanity. In fact, he says that whenever Jesus stoops down, this signifies an act of God's mercy and that whenever he stands up straight, this signifies an act of God's justice. For the Greek word for justice literally means uprightness. The same word in the Greek for what Jesus is doing by standing upright. But what does writing in the earth signify? The Greek word there is katagraphin. It is a hapax legomenon, which is to say that it's a unique word which appears only once in the New Testament, and that is here. It doesn't exactly mean write, that would be graphin, but katagraphin means to engrave. What was our Lord engraving? We return to the Old Testament to see how God engraves the commandments with his finger in the tablets of stone. So the fathers of the church say that the Lord is here writing the commandments into the earth. But according to St. Thomas, this act also signifies the mystery of the incarnation. When by the finger of God, the Holy Spirit, the eternal word, was written into our human nature, as Isaiah the prophet once wrote, let the heavens rain down the just one and the earth bring forth a saviour. The earth is a fit symbol for human nature, since God had shaped the first man from the earth. And all this is done in silence to signify the ineffability of this mystery. It is as if Jesus is saying to the scribes and Pharisees, Yes, according to Moses, she ought to be condemned and stoned to death. But now, through the Incarnation, mercy has been made available to her. Therefore, there is now hope for sinners. Jesus is the perfect sin offering, the Lamb of God who truly takes away the sins of the world. But the scribes and Pharisees do not understand the mystery, and they break the reverent silence with a cacophony of cries. They want justice, they want blood. And as they continue to ask him, our Lord stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. By straightening up, our Lord is now signifying that he is dispensing justice by passing judgment. They have asked for justice and justice they will receive. But now it is they who also stand accused. Our Lord does not pass judgment on this woman, but on her accusers. But let us be clear that the Lord does not make excuses for the sins of this woman. He does not deny that she deserves death, but he adds to this that so do these scribes and Pharisees. 
Mercy is, is never shown to the deserving. It is of, always offered to the undeserving if it is to be mercy. But what happens next? Our Lord stoops down again as if to offer mercy to the newly accused. And this time he begins to write again. But the word now is graphin. He is not engraving but simply writing lightly in the earth. And as you all know that whatever is written in sand is malleable and can be easily erased. And the fathers of the church tells us that how he is writing their sins but lightly as if to indicate that these can be easily wiped away if only they will accept that they too need God's mercy. How often do we fail to grasp this? How often have we etched and engraved the sins of others in our hearts as we refuse to forgive them, but we forget that our sins are so quickly and easily absorbed by God as would writings in the sand be simply erased with a sweep of the hand? Then what happens last of all? Our Lord stands up again to render his judgment, a judgment both just and merciful. Our Lord looked up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And she is right. All her accusers have fled the scene in shame. They who deserve God's judgment have been reminded by the Lord that they too have been recipients of his mercy. How could they demand a different standard for this woman? The woman now stands upright because she has been justified by the mercy of Christ, not because she was justified by her own merits. Hence she hears the sentence, and Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go away and do not sin any more. St. John Paul II provides us a perfect conclusion to this story. He writes, this gospel passage clearly teaches that Christian forgiveness is not synonymous with mere tolerance, but implies something more demanding. It does not mean overlooking evil or even worse denying it. God does not forgive evil but the individual, and he teaches us to distinguish the evil act, which as such must be condemned, from the person who has committed it to whom he offers the possibility of changing. While man tends to identify the sinner with his sin, closing every escape, the Heavenly Father instead has sent his Son into the world to offer everyone a way to salvation. On Calvary, by the supreme sacrifice of his life, the Messiah was sealed for every man and woman the infinite gift of God's pardon and mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.